Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, it's Jody Katz, the host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. I am grateful for your support. This week's episode features Blair James. He's the co-founder of Bondi Sands. Um, it's so exciting to hear his entrepreneurial story and um, the type of work he had to do along the way to make sure that he can make ends meet. Um, so I hope you enjoy listening into that conversation. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Rita Hazan. She's a celebrity hair colorist. I hope you enjoy the shows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Where Brains Meet Beauty. I am excited to sit next to Blair James. He's the co-founder of Bondi Sands. Bondi Sands, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I pronounced it rec- correctly. Yeah. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So my first question for you is, um, you're from Australia. It's like 11 degrees here in New York today. Mm-hmm. What did you pack with you when you came? Uh, clearly not enough. I've got a couple of jackets with me, but uh, I've got my uh, beanie and didn't bring any earmuffs or anything, so my ears are freezing. So. Gloves? No gloves either, so yeah, doing it, um, yeah, <laughs> they're doing it on the cold, that's for sure. Um, conveniently enough, on, on like most street corners in this neighborhood, you can find people selling like hats and gloves and all that okay. stuff, yeah. I'll have to go and uh, source one of those yeah. <laughs> straight after here. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so you're visiting from down under, is that so cheesy for me to say? Uh, a little bit, but I, I, I like it, that sounds good. So it's like so... Um, like American to say that because mm-hmm. you don't think you're under anything. No, no. I think, <laughs> well, I guess we are. I guess we are on the bottom bottom side of the world. So yeah, yeah. It's what we've become known for. So that's fine. Um, so what are you um, going to be doing with your time here today in, in New York? Um, later on today, I need to do a little bit of shopping. Um, but yeah, tomorrow I'm going to catch up with our uh, US distributor who are based here in New York, and uh, after that, going to go to the basketball. So. It's only a quick trip to New York, because it does about two or three days, and then back to uh, Los Angeles, and we're actually just launching our brand at G'day USA, so it's like an Australian Australian tourism gala uh, in LA, so we're doing that on a Saturday night. Oh, that's so, fun. So it's a busy trip. And did you? are you the only person from your team who traveled? No, my business partner, Sean, mm-hmm. um, we usually travel together, uh, but we've actually got um, about four or five of the team members coming over on Thursday, and yeah, they'll all be at the gala. Oh, so. that's great. Yeah, so we do travel a lot together. The whole team generally travels. So what does partnering with a tourism company do for the brand? Um, it's just we want to, yeah, obviously we are Australia's favorite self-tanning brand. We are the number one selling product there in Australia, so we want to surround ourselves with Australians here in, in uh, the US, and it gives us credibility to show that, yes, people are buying our product back home, and they're also supporting us overseas. So mm-hmm. it's really that credibility message, and it's a great gala as well. Um, it, it gets a lot of back, uh, a lot of coverage back home, and I believe it gets a lot of media, media coverage here in the U.S. as well. That's cool. We'll have fun yeah. with that. So um, let's start our conversation with something that we actually ended our conversation when we were on the phone together. This idea of childhood dreams. Mm-hmm. What did you want to be when you grew up? There was a few different dreams. Uh, the first one was to be an NBA basketballer, um, and at five foot ten, that was clearly not going to happen. Um, I love my cars, so Formula One driver would be would be next. Um, and then, obviously, to be a, a brand creator, uh, that was something that I loved as a kid, um, even back to you know, five, six years of age. Um, I think we spoke about it. I used to sit down and being obsessed with Michael Jordan and Nike, like most kids at my age. 
designing men's shoes and I send these designs to Nike and then yeah, waiting for a return mail with posters and everything else in it. So I was obsessed with, with Nike as a kid and, and really that inspired or I guess, um, yeah, I became intrigued in how brands worked and how to develop branding um, at a very early age. So, yeah. Was it their alignment with Michael Jordan? Is that why you were obsessed with Nike versus another brands? Um, I think so. But it was also my, my dad uh, and I used to talk a lot about brands and, and we used to focus on Nike a lot. So he had a sporting background. He played professional soccer in England. And so it was, yeah, I guess there's that common ground with the sports and then, but Nike were just the, the market leader and I liked the way, uh, what was interesting about Nike is they don't just sell a product, they sell a feeling, they sell an emotion and that's really how they sell their product. And I think, you know, we try to do the same thing at Bondi Sands. We don't want to just sell a product. We want, we want to sell something that people feel like they're buying into. Um, and that's what I think I bought into or recognized very early on. That it's not just about selling product, it's about selling an emotion or a feeling. So so you would um, sketch out your drawings, you'd put them in the mail, and then you'd get posters and other stuff back from Nike? Yeah, yeah. So literally, my dad used to say my drawings were no good. because <laughs> they, <laughs> he he, they were no good? <laughs> well, he was an engineer, his background. So he used to draw these technical drawings, and he goes, look, they're going to be more like this. And I was like, no, 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 these look better with all the color and all the stuff on them. Um, so yeah, he was always very supportive, but he, yeah, my drawings weren't as good as his. Uh, but yeah, so I'd draw those shoes, send them into Nike, and um, hope one day they'd pick them up and produce them at some point, very naive as a six-year-old. Um, but I'd always get something back from Nike, and I think that's, yeah, I think that's had such a great response for them, and it's, it's a very exciting thing as a kid to get something back from Nike in the mail. Um, so that just really cemented that, you know, that, that love of brand and, and that love of Nike, really, as well. Right, and like, how sweet is it, is it that they take the time to respond to those like child customer service kind of messages. Yeah, and they replied to everything that I sent. Like I would send literally one a month. Like it was, I was the obsession <laughs> was pretty bad. Like I remember in high school, um, my mum and dad got called to the school by our principal. Um, basically, they told, he told them that I couldn't do another assignment on Michael Jordan or Nike. I had to do an assignment on something else. So it was getting to, yeah, these obsession levels. That's... Um, Obsessed with another brand now, being Bondi Sands, but yeah, it all started from yeah Nike as a kid. So, um, as a elementary school kid obsessed with Nike, what did it shift to when you were like a teenager? What was your brand obsession at that time? Um, it remained with Nike really up until early twenties. Mm -hmm. um, more now, I was getting into automotive brands. Um, I love what Mercedes do as a brand. Uh, that's probably, probably my favorite. Uh, so really, the two now are still the same. So Nike and, and uh, Mercedes, I mm -hmm. think what they've what they've able to do. If you look at the way Mercedes has really changed their imagery over the last, their perception as a brand and who they target. Um, they used to be quite a you know an elitist brand, I suppose, uh, in the 90s. Now they're using rappers and um, different um, types of identities represent different uh, models they have, and really to target a younger consumer. So I think they've really changed their perception and um, brand positioning over the last 15 years. So was your dad an engineer in the automotive business? Yeah, he was an uh, engineer at Ford Motor Company. Uh -huh. So he worked there for 20 years uh, in Australia. So. Yeah, so that's really where the car side comes in. And you, um, you said something about Formula One. Yeah, so Formula One racing. That's yeah. Um, 
yeah, I've always followed that since I was a kid. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And did you like have a dream to be a race car driver? Yeah, yeah. So I was I was pretty passionate about all my dreams as a kid. So I used to get in mum's car and pretend I was a racing car driver when I was five and six. Um, so, but that, that's what I'm sort of getting back to now. Um, obviously, off the back of building a successful business, it's allowed me to now get into into opportunity potentially uh, look at racing cars in the future. So you want to actually race the car? You want to drive the car? Yeah, absolutely. Put yeah. the helmet on and go Do all that. Yeah, I've done a little bit of, of racing, um, but yeah, I'd like to, down the track, yeah, potentially do it a bit more full-time. So when you say that, do you mean like aspire to be a competitive racer or just <clears throat> drive the car really fast? No, competitive racing. There's, really? Yeah, there's, there's quite a few series where you can uh, go and basically be a sponsor and then also mm -hmm. you get a drive off the back of that. So yeah, definitely get into competitive racing. I think it's, it's uh, always been very competitive regardless of what I've been in. Um, and I, yeah, I love that racing side of things. So branding's really crucial in that business, right? Like everyone wears multiple logos, right? The cars are logoed out. The, the, um, everything's about sponsored, sponsored, yeah, sponsored. Yeah, it's, it's probably the most heavily sponsored sport in the world. Um, and it, it, it holds the most, probably the most uh, clout as well. Uh, so you can literally go into a, a race team, in Australia have Porsche Cup, where you can go and sponsor and then also become a driver off the back of that sponsorship. So basically you're almost buying your own ride. Oh, okay. um, and then if you're any good, then you'll get to stay. But um, So there could be yeah. a Bondi car? Yeah, potentially. We, we did have a discussion with McLaren, um, the Formula One team, uh, about, about potentially sponsoring their team. And it was probably a little bit out of reach at the time and doesn't really reach our target market. But mm -hmm. as, a, as a Formula One fan, I was like, oh, yeah, I'd like to do that. <laughs> That's cool. My dream when I guess was like a seven, eight years old, I wanted to be an archaeologist. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I found that. I think I had a second grade teacher who went to Egypt on a trip and she came back and she told us all about it. And mm -hmm. it seemed like a dream come true for me. Yeah. That would be an amazing job. So um, I, now I just watch a lot of Indiana Jones movies. Yeah, a lot of documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about Bondi Sands. So this was not your first entrepreneurial endeavor, right? No. There was something that came before it, a tanning salon in Melbourne. Yeah, so really one had uh, led into the next. Um, my background was in fashion. Um, so when I was uh, around 23, 24, I was working for a fashion retailer in Australia, managing multiple retailers. And I always wanted to do my own business, as we spoke about. Um, and this opportunity came up to, I was actually looking at a retail space uh, in Port Melbourne. and. I was going to open my own men's fashion store. Oh, really? That's how it was okay. going to start. And then I was having a chat with my brother, and he's like, "Well, why don't you have a look at these, you know, at, um, at a tanning bed salon and spray tans?" I was like, "Yeah, I don't know anything about that." Why and did your brother suggest that? His reason for that was that it was a good, um, it created great uh, um, passive income. Mm -hmm. So literally, once you'd set the store up, you weren't constantly having to buy a lot of stock and having to reinvent yourself every month. I mean, fashion's very difficult, having to make sure you stay on trend. Any stock that you buy, obviously you need a discount. So it's a very difficult business to run as opposed to a tanning salon, which is, it's the same, yeah, season in, season out. Right. So that was really, and he sold me on that idea. So How did he even know about this? I think he was going to one at the time. <laughs> and I must have thought it was a good idea. Um, you know, tanning in Australia back in 2005, 2006 was so popular uh, in, in tanning beds and also out in the sun. Um, it's changed a lot since then. Um, so yeah, we look, We opened a brand new salon, um, fitted that the whole space out ourselves, and uh, then I bought my brother out of the business within two years. So that was in 2006. So why um, did he want to exit the business? I think he just realised that business wasn't for him. Mm -hmm. um, you know, business. I think to be successful in business, you do have to be a certain personality type, and you do have to embrace risk um, mm -hmm. and you embrace change constantly. 
and that's I don't think that was really his personality type. So I think he was more, he was an engineer as well. Uh, so I think he was more suited to that. So he exited the business in 2008. Um, and then at really, that time, that's when uh, spray tans really started to uh, spiral in Australia. It was really in line with um, the sun care awareness or the skin, care and, uh, skin cancer awareness in Australia started to become more, uh, more popular. And so people really started to turn into spray tans to, I guess, still get that colour look I've been out in the sun, but at the same time look after their skin a little bit more. Um, and really, so by 2010, we produced our own spray solution. Um, we were using that in the salon. Customers were coming and actually asking for this product. And why? Wait, sorry to interrupt, but why did you? I mean, I'm sure there's like hundreds of brands you could have just used in your salon. Why yeah. did you create your own custom formula? Um, yeah, so we were using two different formulas in the uh -huh. business at the time, and we were starting to get. Um, we get to the point where we just literally couldn't fit any more people in. We're doing sort of three, four hundred sprays a week. And I'd start suggesting to people, you know, why don't you try a self-tanning product and do it at home? And yeah. we're getting all this feedback that, you know, the colour didn't last long enough or the colour was bad, it smelt bad. And that's sort of, you know, those light bulb moments when you sort of go, okay, there's an opportunity here. Like, why is there such a difference between self-tanners and, and a salon spray tan? So, is there? Um, there was at the time. Uh -huh. There was a huge difference, yeah. Um, and so um, a business partner at I, um, which I'd met, with Bondi Sands, I met him at the salon. He used to come in for an occasional spray tan and have an occasional sunbed. And um, so we got talking about this, and so we started producing our own formula. First of all, to understand what the difference was between a salon spray tan mm -hmm. and, and the uh, self tanners. Um, and so we started, we made our first uh, sample, started using it in the salon, and yeah, within sort of yeah, a month or so, people were coming and requesting this product. So we knew that, okay, this, is, this product's good. We know people like this color. Um, and it was then that we realized, okay, let's take this product and adapt it to a self-tan application. So generally, a self-tanning product is, the active ingredients, which they use as DHA, uh, is generally around 6 or 7%. Um, a salon spray tan was up to 15%. Oh, and that's what gives you the color. Yeah, uh -huh. so that process on your skin, that mm -hmm. gives you that depth of color. Um, so the salon spray tans was much, much more, uh, much stronger. Mm -hmm. um, the dye structure was very different. So self-tanners at the time, which you see a lot on um, in the US, is was caramel base. So when you put a caramel base on any skin tone, it will look orange. Oh, uh -huh. It's very difficult to make it look bronzed and natural like you just got out of the sun. Um, a lot of the salon spray tans have a green or blue base, so it gives that olive tone. And that's what really you put that on any skin tone, it will look olive and natural. So you look very tan right now. Mm -hmm. Is this your product? Uh, I'm naturally olive, uh -huh. uh, so that, that helps. But I use one of our gradual tanning products, which is um, a lot of menus uh -huh. uh, in Australia. And yeah, that gives that more natural, natural yeah. color. I mean, you look like you were just skiing or snowboarding or in the sun. Yeah, it's a, a bit of that. Um, it is <laughs> summer back home, and it's, uh, I think it's like low 90 degrees. Uh, so yeah, it's middle of summer. So a little bit is, is natural, uh, but there's also a lot of gradual tan there as well. All right, so I want to back up a little bit. So yep. you're a young guy, decides you want to open up maybe a clothing store, but then you got encouraged to do this. Where do you find the financing to do this? Um, well, I was lucky enough uh, for the first business. We're not lucky enough. I um, I'd uh, lost uh, my mum just uh, probably about two years before, and she left me a small amount of money. Mm -hmm. So I had about $30,000 um, in Australia, which is about $20,000 US. And so I had that small amount of money behind mm -hmm. me and literally every cent went into that salon. And my brother, I, was, I put money in as well. And so I remember the, the very first day we opened it, it was a Sunday and 
we were going to open on the Monday, but I was just keen to get in the store and get it open. So I was like, we worked in the store till about 3 a.m. on the Saturday night to clean everything up and get it ready to go. And then, yeah, so I opened the salon on the Sunday. And I remember looking at my bank balance thinking there was $180 in my bank account left. And I remember thinking to myself, if this doesn't work, I don't know what's gonna, what I'm going to do. So this has to work. Um, and that first day, we turned over $540. And I was like, this is a good start. So straight away, we knew we were onto something, a good location. Um, yeah, the store looked good. So yeah, that was nice to see. But yeah, it was going to... We really didn't make significant money out of that salon for probably close to two years. Right. Um, but so it was definitely not um, yeah, going to set me up for life. But it was it definitely it was enough to reward me for taking the chance and stepping out and trying something new. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, definitely gave me the inspiration to look for more. Did your mom before she passed know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, it was funny. She. Um, I was at university studying applied science when I was 18, 19. I thought, this, this isn't, isn't for me. And she said to me one day, she goes, I knew you were going to drop out. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's really insulting. They're like, oh, you knew I was going to give up. She goes, no, 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 you're not meant to do that. You're meant to do your own thing. Uh, she goes, you've, you've always been like that. You've always, whenever you wanted something, you just went out and got it yourself. Um, so, yeah, she definitely knew that that was uh, the path I'd go down. Right. Mm. How her sons were so different from each other too, right? Very different. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, very uh, more uh, quite creative and, and obviously looking for new opportunities. And my brother definitely likes the more safe um, options. And was your father, did he did he realize the difference between the two of you that way as well? Uh, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My dad was creative like me as well, um, being a mechanical engineer. Mm-hmm. So... Um, he had both sides. He had that creative side, but also the engineering side. Mm-hmm. So, no, he definitely realized we're, we're very different. Mm-hmm. Well, it's really nice you were able to honor your mother through this, the shop, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's one of those things now, I look back on it, and, um, yeah, I, I don't think if she ha- hadn't have said that, well, I, I still would have gone down this path, but right. it was, you know, one of those one of those moments where you, it's when you just know that's what you're meant to do, and uh, I think she'd be happy to know that um, you have trusted that instinct and you know, something that I've always wanted to do throughout my life. So. Right, and I think that um, inside our bodies we want to um, honor our parents' wishes, so getting like that sense of approval from them, even if it's in this little conversation, it's comforting, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think yeah, we, we we used to talk. I'd, I'm one of those one of those kids, one of those people that we'd walk through a supermarket, and I'd be like, I'd be talking about, oh, mum, we could make this, or we could do this, and it's constantly looking at opportunities. So there's, you walk anywhere, there's opportunities for a business, and right. um, or I would go to a restaurant, and I'd be working out how much yeah you know, they could make of a certain amount of tables, and how they can make more money. So I was constantly always doing that, and I still do the same thing now. Um, it can be a little bit exhausting to be around because you don't ever stop <laughs> thinking about it. Um, so yeah, she saw the writing on the wall, um, and yeah, she could have said, turned around and said, "You've got to stay at uni. You've got to get a degree. You've got to you know, get these university degrees." And um, she really encouraged me not to do that and mm-hmm. to get out and actually and, and take that risk. And mm-hmm. most parents probably wouldn't do that. Right. Uh, so you never graduated. No, mm-hmm. and never regretted that. Yeah. Um, I, I do think back at times and think, you know, if I finished that degree, I would have. I was specialising in um, occupational health and safety, so I would have been in a completely different um, world. And yeah, I just can't imagine doing that at all now. 
Yeah, I um, I appreciate people who have the courage to say like no to these sort of social norms, right? Um, obviously, if you want to be a doctor, you'd have to finish school, but if you want to choose another path, there's other ways to educate yourself, right? School oh, of life. Definitely, and especially this this day and age, we've got access to so much information and. Um, you know, definitely not against schooling or you know going getting an education. I think for, for some career paths, it's what you have to do. But I do think at times that uh, schooling can squash out a little bit of creativity. And you know, not everyone's made or you know born to go and go and study. Some people just want to create things and, and want to get things moving themselves. So. So have you had people apply for jobs for your company who haven't gotten their degree? Have you noticed resumes like that? Yeah, we've got. Um, yeah, I think probably about a third of our team is mm-hmm. uh, don't have they don't have degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, some do, and that depends on you know the role they have with our business. But um, and we've also had people that really started from our business from the very beginning uh, who actually worked for me in my salon previously. Mm-hmm. So they're still within the business. So ten years, twelve years on, we're still working together. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think there's. There's a different train of thought, I think, that comes through people that, that have gone and created something for themselves without study, mm-hmm. as opposed to, the, yeah, they're very different in, in a work life, I guess, in a workspace. Right. So um, let's just go back in time a little bit more, because you started the salon, you bought your brother out, then you started to think, like, oh, wait, we could probably formulate a product that's better and service our customer better. But then you mentioned a business partner came in who was a customer. Yeah. So tell me about that experience. Yeah. So Sean Wilson, uh, he's my co-founder and business partner in, in Bondi Sands, and he was a uh, customer very early on. I think he would have come through probably in the first six months of opening that business. And yeah, he was coming through for a sunbed every now and then. And yeah, he's, he's has a background in business, has a master's in business. So exact opposite to me, he has those degrees and everything else. So the two of us really work well together, um, you know, the creative and that, that um, education background. And we just got talking about business opportunities and really um, we just used to talk about everything. And you know, eventually you come in and we have coffees and just talk about your business ideas and what we'd like to do in the future. And one day- So it was day, just a friendship. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, we just became mates and yeah, he'd started you know, hanging out with my mates and uh, yeah, we're all still mates to this, to this day. So it was just really started with that. It wasn't really pitching a business or anything. And, and then we got talking about some ideas that I had and I spoke about uh, the tanning business and what I think the opportunities were and um, you know, Sean could see the opportunity in that, particularly as that time in Australia, like the skin cancer message is so strong in Australia now and really people are, really, um, are very aware of the damage of the sun and also the UV light exposure in sunbeds. So mm-hmm. were, it was already starting to um, shift. Uh, people were starting to move away from those ways of tanning. And so really it was the right time. Mm-hmm. And that's where, it, um, you know, where the business started from. So um, you saw the writing on the wall in terms of the, the consumer's desire for tanning beds would disappear, right? Yeah, not that it was, um, at that point, the desire wasn't really dying mm-hmm. off. It was more, um, it was the Victorian government at the time, the Australian government that was really pushing these, um, I guess, really anti-sunbed messages mm-hmm. and really looking after your, uh, your skin in the sun. Um, <clears throat> we could see the writing on the wall that sunbeds would be banned, mm-hmm. um, and they did ban uh, sunbeds in Australia by 2012. Mm-hmm. So it was really inevitable that people were, you know, they had to move away from sunbeds because they couldn't access them anymore. Six years on, um, that was a very, well, that was a very unpopular move by the Australian government at the time in 2012. People loved going to the sunbed. Six years on. Um, people are very much against sunbeds now. Mm-hmm. And they're also very much against laying in the sun, although you know, people still love to have that, that feeling of being out in mm-hmm. the sun. They're protecting their skin a lot more, and they're looking for other ways now to get that sun-kissed look mm-hmm. that Australia is so well-known for. Right, and that's what you offer them, yeah, right? Nice, right? Nice segue into your product. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so 
Um, let's talk about the sun. Okay, I mean, I guess it's just sort of funny that you started in this business where people are lying in sunbeds that we now know are dangerous, and mm -hmm. now you're actually offering them like incredibly safe alternative for that, right? Yeah. So you were kind of like in, in the muck of <laughs> sunning, tanning, and now you're actually giving them an opportunity to be healthy. Yeah. Um, it, are there sunscreens built into your products? In some of our products, mm -hmm. yes. We have one product, which is a gradual tanning milk that also has an SPF in the product uh -huh. as well. So it's a daily yeah, a daily use product. Mm -hmm. So you apply it just like a moisturizer. And then you also have uh, SPF protection off the back of that. We just launched um, our full sun care range in Australia last year. Um, so there's now eight products in that mm -hmm. range. And we have a range of sunscreen oils, which range from an SPF 30, uh, 15 and 30. And then we also have up to an SPF 50 lotion. Um, yeah, so that... It is really, I think it fits well into our brand message, but we also, um, we, we wanted to, to shake up that sun care message a little bit in Australia as well, because it was very, I think all the big brands, big multinationals were very right. stagnant. They were very uh, clinical in the way they market their product. Um, our products are very fun and bright. Um, you know, they look very Instagrammable. Mm -hmm. So it's very attractive to that younger consumer, the, the consumer who really should be using sun care products uh, from mm -hmm. an early age. I was putting on my moisturizer this morning. My daughter, who's eight, was in the bathroom with me, and then I started putting on my sunscreen. She's like, why are you putting on sunscreen? It's winter. And she just really wouldn't understand the message. She was like, this doesn't make any sense. And she started laughing at me, like, I need, I'm going to be out in the sun every day. I'm walking around New York City. And she had a really hard time with it, um, even though, I mean, I've been putting this on in front of her for a long time, right? Yeah. Um, but she just had such a disconnect in her head. She just was not making any sense. Was that around putting sunscreens on in, in winter? Yeah, like today. You know, yeah. I'm putting it on. It's a sunny day. Yeah. I've noticed that... Um, like I have a lot of um, sunspots on this on the right side of my face, and it's because I think doing long car rides, and my husband loves to drive, so he's on that side, and I'm on the side, and I wasn't wearing sunscreen for a long time like yeah. that, you know, just driving around, and now I realize, well, that's because I'm sitting in the car for hours in the yeah. sun. Yeah, it is, um, and that was a, yeah, a, a, a common misperception in Australia as well was that mm -hmm. um, in winter, there's just because it's cold, um, you can't get sun damage, and you definitely can. The UV light. Um, UV light is still prevalent every day, uh, particularly even today. I mean, there's no clouds around, yeah. so it's, it's very um, it can be high UV in the cold weather as well. Um, so, yeah, you definitely need to be using sunscreen in, in winter. And even in, in, in a car, people think that the glass actually stops UV light from penetrating through, but it doesn't cut out all of the um, UV light as well. So you're constantly uh, exposed to it. And whether it's not just, we don't just talk about the, as a brand, we don't just talk about um, the skin cancer awareness side of it. It's also just um, about general looking after your skin. Right. Um, you know, UV light is proven to uh, uh, cause sun damage and, and more wrinkles and um, weathering of the skin. So, yeah, the more you can use sunscreen, the better, really. I think of sunscreen as, like, the least expensive, most effective anti-aging product. Absolutely. Right? It is. Um, yeah. And you're it, seeing it in so many beauty products now. Yes. But, like, to actually, like, not just, like, have it in your foundation, which I just don't think is enough protection, right? To like really put it on and put find a product that you love that you'll want to wear every day. Um, and you do it, you know, forever. And then that's the anti-aging skincare. Yeah. Like way cheaper than going to a fancy department store and yeah, buying something. Absolutely. And obviously prevention's, um, yeah, the best, the best um, way of making sure you're not going to end up with the wrinkles or any sun damage. So um, let's talk about how you separate being an entrepreneur, now you're a global business, right? You mm -hmm. said you're visiting your U.S. distributor. So do yep. you have distributors in other countries as well? Yeah, so we have um, we have a U.K. distributor now. Mm -hmm. uh, we also, we've only just recently signed with a U.S. distributor uh, called Grace Beauty mm -hmm. here in uh, New York. 
Uh, we also have some distributors across Europe, and so the brand is is truly global now. We also have a distributor in Australia as well. So. Those partners have allowed us to grow um, quickly, as opposed to you know, looking to take on staff and salespeople to, to grow the business. Right. So, um, how do you have time for you, and what is you time beyond preparing to be a Formula One driver? <laughs> yeah, it's um, it does take up a lot of my time, but it's, at times it feels like it's hard to separate myself from the business because mm -hmm. even when you're not working, it's it's something I love doing. So it's not like um, I'm doing a job that I don't like every day. So. Um, I do like to keep fit, so that's really um, my girlfriend and I, you know, both very active. And uh, so, yeah, we do try to train, get to the gym most days. So whether it be you know mornings during the week mm -hmm. or at, on the weekend, get out and train. So, um, yeah, it's. I don't feel like I have to really separate myself from work. It's just I'm constantly on emails, uh, constantly working. But you always want to know what's going on, so it doesn't really feel like you're pushing yourself to work. It's something I still enjoy. So I think that the, um, as an entrepreneur myself, um, my head's always going right. Yeah. But the separation is really about the other people that I'm with, right? So like my kids don't want to hang with me when I'm completely focused and dreaming about work, right? So that's when I need, or my husband, right? That's when we need to separate, yeah. So that we can have relationships with other people. Mm -hmm. um, so while it's super fun for me to think about and daydream about the podcast and my agency and blah blah blah, it's not fun for them to be with me when I'm daydreaming. That's actually really stuff, true. Right? I, hadn't, I hadn't actually thought of it like that, but it, it is so true. It's uh, I've got some friends of mine that are very entrepreneurial so we'll talk for hours about ideas and that's I find that so enjoyable and then there's um, other friends of mine that yeah just don't want to hear about business they just want to talk about whether it's the basketball or they want to talk about the Formula One or whatever it is and then my girlfriend is a mix of both she ha she's an also an entrepreneur uh -huh. uh, she has her own um, she does cosmetic tattooing so mm -hmm. eyebrow tattooing very good at what she does and so we talk about her business and how she can grow that and you know she can make that a bit more of a passive income so sometimes we talk about that and then we talk about my business and then the other time she's like I don't want to talk about business anymore right so like the separation isn't about you it's about your relationships that's right right yeah. so um, or like when I'm with my husband and he's like busy with work and he's like constantly you know doing emails well like that's not fun to be around right mm -hmm. like we you, I feel like that's the evolution of what I've been thinking about in terms of life work balance it's not that I have to shut off like the fun in my head about growing businesses it's that I have to like find the connection with the humans that are around me that are not working with me that's true yeah so that's my big lesson I'll pass it along to you and our listeners yeah I'll definitely <laughs> take that after that <laughs> well congratulations on everything that you've created this is Thank pretty you. cool right do you like pinch yourself a little bit yeah it's uh, I mean the, the dream was always it's, it's never changed from day one we had you know pretty audacious goals really from day one we wanted to be the, the biggest self tanning brand in the world um, we will become that this year and so and it, we really designed this brand for the United States I spent a lot of time growing up here and um, I played basketball over here as, as a kid and yeah, it was just, we really saw the opportunity for it to do well here. So to see it go into Walgreens now as an exclusive partnership with them, um, yeah, it was definitely one of those moments you'd have to pinch yourself every day. Um, and a lot more to come this year. It's, you know, the brand's still got um, a lot of evolution, a lot of new products to come through. So mm -hmm. we still feel we're still very on, very early in the, the uh, I guess, the, the brand growth. Um, I think six years in, but we're already supplying over 15,000 stores around the world. Um, That's amazing, only six years. It is. Right, and thinking that not that long ago you're going to open a men's clothing shop. It, it's a big change. I think right? if people had said to me when I was 18 that you'd own the world's biggest tanning brand by the time you were 38, I was like, you're crazy. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it's been an amazing journey so far. And, yeah, we, I mean, there's still, still so much more to grow. 
Um, what I hear in your voice and <laughs> the conversation we had before in this one is like you're just so at ease with the risk taking. Like I don't even think it sounds like it feels like a risk to you, does it? No, I think risks are a funny thing. I think it's only risky when you don't know what you're doing. Um, and you know, before we went into this, I, people always ask why why is Bondo so successful? And I think it's a very simple thing. It's just that we understand uh, tanning consumers better than any other brand. That's why we're able to do what we do. And so I think if you if you go into something and you understand it inside and out, um, you know, you're, it's a calculated risk. You're taking an educated risk mm-hmm. what you're doing. So you know um, where areas you need to be more careful, you know areas that you can push boundaries a little bit more. So I think it really just comes down to really understanding what you're doing. Um, the risks, yeah, like I said, if you can mitigate those as much as possible, the more edu- the more educated you can be, you can reduce those risks down to there's you know just a few that are um, you know, almost eliminated eliminated entirely. Right. So an educated risk is really just a plan or a strategy, right? It's not Absolutely. risky. You know, yeah. it's just what you have to do to move forward. Yeah. There's, there's always risk, um, particularly when you're going into a business um, like this. Uh, we're going into, you know, mass products and distribution. And I think you know, being a little naive coming into it also helps as well. Mm-hmm. You, you don't, if you, <clears throat> if you were to know all the risks and all the, all the challenges you're going you're gonna to approach. Um, over the course of running a brand, then you probably wouldn't do it. Um, but once you get into the process, you start going through going through that with the, with the brand, you come across things and you navigate those as you need to, and you learn from them along the way. So the next time you want to launch the next brand or the next product, you anticipate what's going to happen. And again, it's just about uh, educated risks. So um, what I really love about your story is it, it doesn't sound like 10 years ago you decided you're going to build the biggest self-tanning brand in the world. You just like had a, a goal and you reached it and then you saw an opportunity and another goal and an opportunity, right? And it's not about like, I guess like I'm, I'm overwhelmed with sort of like the greed in our business right now. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to start a brand, brand and sell for $200 million in two years. Like that's why they're starting the brand. Not because yeah. they like love the customer, <laughs> they love the product or they're, they're just like, in it for the money. Yeah. Um, so that kind of wears on me, like being around those people. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, it's funny you bring that up. I, I talk to my friends a, a lot about that, almost on a weekly basis. Instagram and the social media is the the best and greatest tool we've ever had to build a business. But the the downside of that is that people don't look at building a brand. They look at creating a product, getting on Instagram, and just selling product. Right. And that, that's not building a brand. Um, and I think that, um, you know, if we, we look back and we were very lucky that when we launched, we were right at the very beginning of Instagram. So we really had to income, we had to really be educated around uh, traditional media, mm-hmm. traditional retailers, as well as digital. And we really pride ourselves on being um, the only self-tanning brand that is so that is a market leader on social media. We have almost 700,000 followers on, on Instagram but we're also a retail-focused brand. So we're very unique in that sense that we build this loyalty online, but mm-hmm. then we funnel them into store. Um, and that's how the brands are going to grow so quickly. And so I think, yeah, I, I meet with a lot of entrepreneurs um, that want to talk about their business ideas. And it's one of the first questions I ask is, well, why do you want to do it? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time is, the answer is, oh, you know, I've seen how big the market is, oh, I can make this much money. I said, to be honest, if your motivation is, is money, it's gonna wear out pretty quick. Three years in, if you're not making any money, you're gonna be bored of running this business. Um, you know, we look back at, you know, Sean and I didn't make any money from Bondi Sands mm-hmm. three years in. I was um, still cleaning apartments to just pay bills. Really? Um, so after selling my salon, didn't want to dip into that money. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, yeah, cleaning apartments just to, for everyday cash. Mm-hmm. 
And you know, that's because we were passionate about the business. And we were passionate about what the brand could be. Right. We weren't chasing money. Right. Yes. I'm. Thank you for saying that. I'm glad we put it into the universe on this podcast because yep. it's just it's not worth it. Like if that's what your goal is, go to into a different industry. Like this is not an overnight success story kind of business. Yeah. It's really not. I think there's that there's that saying that I've seen it pop up on quite a few memes and posts on Instagram is like if you're doing it for money, you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't agree with that yeah, more. I, and I think if you like we spoke about before, the brand, our brand is successful because we understand our consumers mm-hmm. better than anybody else. And I think you know, people need to look at building a brand, um, it's just like a friendship. If you, you look at how mm-hmm. you communicate with your friendship group, you have similar interests and you talk in similar ways and so you can communicate and build that friendship. Uh, a brand to consumer relationship is exactly the same. Yep. If you can't talk to your consumer um, on their level, uh, in the terms they understand and have the values that they have, they're not going to engage with your brand and that's, um, the, that's what the most successful brands do today. They um, connect with their audience um, better than their competitors. I love it. Thank you for sharing all this and your honesty and openness. I'm so glad you shared your wisdom with us today. It's really cool to have it on the show. Thank you. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Blair. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.